0: Guys Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul.
1: Your smart guide to the state of Turkey.
0: Welcome to Zeitgeist Turkey. This is Jansu Çamlıbay, coming to you from Istanbul. I am recording this episode from home with Jan Selçuki on the phone with me. This is our fifth episode and personally, this is the beginning of my fifth week in self-isolation. As an online publication here at Tuvar, we decided to move our offices to our homes only three days after the official announcement of the first positive coronavirus case in Turkey. And today, looking back, I am so glad we did that. Any businesses that have the capacity to run their operations digitally from home, I believe this is the right thing to do, to flatten the curve. And certainly, we are grateful to those who go to work exactly the way they did before the coronavirus outbreak. Our prayers are with them. John, your wife Fitnat is one of those people. She's a doctor. How is she holding up?
1: Uh, yes, John she is actually uh, at a night shift right now. Uh, we are, you know, we are trying to take good care of ourselves, keep a healthy diet, get a good night's sleep, take our vitamins, watch for any symptoms as closely uh, as we can. And luckily, as a health worker, she has immediate access to the relevant tests. So if she ever gets suspicious, uh, she can get tested, and I can get tested like any other person. So all we can do is to, you know, watch ourselves and look out for any symptoms uh, in the coming days.
0: We are crossing our fingers for you guys of and um, for, for all the health workers and everyone uh, who is working around the clock uh, to fight this disease. John, coming back to what we would like to discuss in this week's episode, I believe this week gives us an opportunity uh, to have a deeper look into the current state of politics in Turkey of course in parallel to uh, the management of the coronavirus crisis because it was a truly interesting and exciting week. Last Sunday, April 12th, will definitely be a day to be remembered in recent political history of Erdogan years. When we talk about Erdogan years of Turkish politics I would like to remind that we are talking about almost two decades since Erdogan's Justice and Development Party came to power in 2002. Since then, AKP never lost an election until last year's local elections, when main opposition party CHP managed to grab the local administration in top three cities in Turkey and many more money-generating coastal cities. But Erdogan himself is today still holding the ultimate power as the central force, using his exclusive presidential powers when necessary. And quite often, I must say, unfortunately. Erdogan's management style does not really tolerate vocal criticism from within his own cabinet or party ranks. I'm giving this much background in order to set the scene to tell our audience why the resignation attempt of Interior Minister Süleyman Soylu on April 12th was a very very bold move on twitter a few hours after we recorded last week's episode that he resigned and he took the responsibility of the messy announcement of the first weekend curfew of last week minister soylu literally admitted that it was wrong then of course his resignation was not accepted by president erdogan
1: on the onset it looks like a Regular resignation that you would expect in a democracy whereby a minister claimed responsibility uh, for a mistake that had been done and therefore had offered his resignation. And Mr. Soylu's actually departing note on Twitter reflected this. As you said, he took responsibility for the mistake and he's, you know, he apologized and he said that he would be resigning. On the onset, this looks very normal. This could happen in any democracy. Ministers or, you know, administrators taking responsibility for their mistakes. Obviously, there's a huge political backdrop to this, uh, which you sort of insinuated. And let me go into it more detail. For a while now, we know that there's a rivalry. ...between Mr. Soylu and Mr. Albayrak, who is the son-in-law of Mr. Erdogan and also Minister of Economy and Treasury. Now, the rivalry stems from a simple fact, according me, at least. Mr. Soylu is a relative newcomer to our party, but a strong one. As you know, before this, he was the head of the Democrat Party... And actually, uh, he is backed strongly by the Nationalistic uh, MHP Party, who's also a partner of uh, Mr. Erdoğan within the People's Alliance. His fight against terrorism, both within and outside of Turkey, and I'm using this in quotation marks, but this is how they describe it at least, uh, has been welcomed by the Nationalistic Party, MHP, its leader, David Parceli, but also Mr. Soylu's actions during his tenure as uh, interior minister was welcomed by the nationalistic base, both of MHP and AK Party. Mr. Albayrak, on the other hand, is family, and for a part of the family, both part of Erdogan's family and part of the AK Party machine, he is the successor of uh, Mr. Erdoğan. He definitely sees himself as a successor and
0: he has uh, strong people uh, supporting him uh, as a successor. And a financial network supporting his tenure.
1: Not only a financial network, uh, but also from within Erdoğan's family, we know that Mr. Albayrak is the preferred candidate to to carry the flag forward after uh, Erdoğan. And uh, how do we know this? Well, this is, you know, Ankara... Anchor a gossip, but this is almost known too much to be a gossip anymore. This is this is a given information. Uh, I couldn't uh, source a any a paper mm-hmm. or any sources, but this is now uh, common information. For anyone who is watching Ankara closely, while Mr. Albayrak has a lot of support to be the successor, he also has opposers, and his quick ascendance into power has created resentment within uh, the AK Party as well. I mean, following last year's municipal elections, there were a lot of critics within the AK Party who actually wanted to blame Mr. Albayrak and his economic policies for the poor results of the municipal elections. So, in a way, this group of disgruntled opposition to Mr. Albayrak has found a new person to rally behind, and that appears to be Mr.
0: Soylu. We can come back to this rivalry between uh, Erdogan's son-in-law, Berat Albayrak, and uh, Minister Soylu. Uh, I would like to break down your analysis of Soylu's resignation into some components. We understood very quickly that he did not really discuss this resignation with the president beforehand. Erdogan's management style is an important factor in how he managed this resignation crisis. If something needs to be discussed within the AKP, it should be behind closed doors. Anybody who wants to talk about a mistake or a policy failure, that person should not give a chance to what is left of the press in Turkey for them to focus on this cleavage. If a member of Erdogan's party is flawed or made a mistake, Erdogan prefers to sleep on it and then pay that person's score when the public attention is completely shifted elsewhere. Moreover, if he is personally involved in a flawed decision-making process, which is the case most of the time, then someone paying the price for a failed policy, a policy mistake, is out of question in Erdogan's world. That's why Soylu stepping up, announcing his resignation, without even notifying the president, was something not seen, not experienced in Turkish politics, the near history that I can remember.
1: You're right. And this is what makes it a power play. The conditions under which this resignation uh, took place, actually, what makes this a power play? You know, make no mistake, Mr. Soylu took a huge risk doing this the way that he did. His comeback actually worked, and his power play actually worked, which tells us even further that he has more backers, both from within the AK Party, but also from the coalition partner MHP, and one legal note, perhaps. You know, we always say that uh, Erdogan did not accept uh, Soylu's resignation, but there's no such thing as accepting or rejecting a resignation. It's a unilateral move by the undertaker. So actually what happened was that Soylu withdrew uh, his resignation. Now going forward, of course, one thing to note is you can only pull such a move once. It was a move that uh, put Erdogan in a sort of defeated position. And I doubt that Mr. Erdogan is the kind of politician that forgets uh, such power plays, particularly uh, given his current status of power. So going forward, I think we will see more of the struggle between Mr. Soylu, Mr. Erdogan and Mr. Albayrak.
0: John, I also would like to come back to uh, Minister Soylu's relationship with the MHP and maybe even MHP is not enough to define his position. Because we know that he is actually sort of the extension of the nationalists, what many people believe as former deep state in Turkey inside the AKP. So I think there is credible ground for suspicion that Soylu might have actually, while not notifying President Erdogan himself, he might he might have had conversations uh, with the other crucial members of that bloc that. I'm talking about Uh, the official discourse by President Erdogan while he was trying to explain why he did not accept Soylu's resignation. He underlined what he defined as success in fight with the terror. He praised Soylu's efforts during the coronavirus outbreak. And as I said, this was the official discourse. But for anyone who closely observed Turkish politics, this is an understatement of the facts saying that the government needed Soyuz to fight with the PKK. I mean, Turkey state has been fighting the PKK for almost 40 years. There were so many Soyuz in different positions. So what Erdogan gives us here is pure rhetoric to me. And if it wasn't for the MHP in the last three elections, I'm also... uh, counting the referendum, obviously, presidential referendum of 2017, it would have been really difficult for President Erdogan to keep himself in power. So it would be probably a political suicide for Mr. Erdogan to move himself um, from MHP at this point. Am I mistaken?
1: I think you are right. Now, for a number of reasons, he can't do that. First of all, he needs the MHP. But the problem is the MHP isn't enough anymore. The sum of their vote shares has been below 50% consistently for for some time now. When
0: you say for some time, are we talking about, for instance, last six months? Last six months, yes, absolutely. For the past six months, absolutely. And it has
1: gone up and down, let's say, since the municipal elections of last year. So having the MHP vote is no longer enough. Let me make a note of MHP votes. What appears as MHP supporters right now in the polls are predominantly previous AK Party supporters because MHP lost a lot of its support to E-Party, in fact, in the past uh, three years. There are still loyalists remaining within uh, MHP that hasn't shifted sides, yes, but that's around uh three to four percentage points the rest of mhp support comes from more nationalistic leaning AC party voters that are somewhat not happy with AC party but you know they're okay to go with mhp now that mhp is within the alliance the AC party so while mhp has a you know as a solid 10-12 percent of the votes most of that actually comes from previous AC party voters so when you add that up with the fallen share of AC party It just doesn't add up to 50%. So, Erdogan needs to find new cleavages to carry him over the 50%. And those cleavages just don't seem to be there for the
0: time being. Maybe it would be useful for our audience to remind them of the latest numbers that you have uh, through your polls. Where all these parties stand in terms of uh, the votes?
1: So, Johnson, in the poll that we did in the first week of April, our party got... Uh, 35.8% of the votes and MHP got 12.2% of the votes, roughly adding up to 48% of the total share. Now, this is the highest that they've seen in the past six months. It was more around 43-44%. They had a bump in April, which is understandable for two reasons. We are going through a huge crisis. People want security during times of crisis. We see this because the, the, the percentage of people that are undecided have also dropped around 4 percentage points. So people don't want to take chances. This is the, uh, at a time of crisis. The second reason is uh, the newly established parties that were able to get more from our party in the past polls have not managed to make the, the kind of splash that they intended to do at their inauguration. And one reason is because obviously they can't really get their message through because of the state of the media. Uh, second is obviously nobody really cares about new parties right now, because it's all about the pandemic. Any votes that would have appeared on their side in the past months have shifted back to MHP or or AK party. So I doubt that the alliance will continue to enjoy close to 50% uh, rates as the pandemic gets deeper and the economic fallout becomes much more difficult to, to handle.
0: Right. Yeah, I just saw a poll in the United States that President Trump's approval rating apparently dropped six points in the last month because of the pandemic. So according to some scientists, uh, we haven't seen the peak of the outbreak yet. So this is all scary and uh, probably this is more scary For the governments, not only Turkish government, but anyone in a governing position in the world right now. But I would like to come back to the numbers because you haven't yet given the percentage points for the opposition parties, the main position, uh, HDP and E-party. So
1: CHP scores at 21.1%, HDP is at 11.1%, and E parties at 9.7%. So they're pretty much keeping their vote shares uh, vis-à-vis the general elections that were held in June 2018, which to me is the is rather interesting because we also know from the polls that we did in March that municipalities governed by CHP are doing rather well. But for some reason the opposition has not managed to make use of this in its national uh,
0: numbers. So this is the end of our episode for today. This has been the fifth episode of Zeitgeist Turkey. Before we close, would you like to add anything?
1: So So this was a nice break to talk about something else other than the coronavirus. And I think we will have much more to talk about these new political developments as we are getting closer to 2023 which will be a decisive moment in Turkish politics. This is it from us for this episode. Thank you everyone for listening and see you next week.
0: Goodbye.